go. So yeah, this is probably... So I'm not keeping a track. I'm on episode 14. I'm trying to get to episode 21. And I feel like I announced that at the start of every single episode. Anyway, 21 episodes is like a benchmark where like 98% of podcasts don't get to that level. Um, so 14, it's a good number. Um, I'm joined today with Elise, who's married to Joey DeWitt, who was also on this podcast. I'm using all of my connections to try and get up to 21, clearly. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah? Thank you for having me. I have to say, these two are probably the most decorated couple I've come across in my 24 years on this earth. You're two very, very ambitious, successful people, and I think you complement each other very well. So, as much as I'm using my connections, I'm also very fortunate to have someone just as amazing to have in this podcast. That's very kind. Thank you. So, you met Joey out in the Netherlands studying, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you were born and raised in the UK. Yeah, so I was born in London and raised in London mm. and I did my bachelor's degree in Amsterdam and yeah, that was sort of where I met Joey. You're, are you a second generation? Uh, it's kind of half and half. My father, he was born here, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he was raised here and my mother was raised in Pakistan. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess that's sort of a, a split in between. That's interesting. I've seen, I, th- I think more so with second generation Indian friends I've got. No, not second generation, they're third generation. But I see the relationship they have with their parents and it's a lot different to what I've got with my parents. I'm second generation. My parents were born and raised in Iran and then they've come over when they were 18. I think my dad was 21 actually and my mum was like 18, 19. So, yeah, that's, that was a little bit of a weird thing for me. I, I can tell culturally how much difference there is compared to se- third, second generation raising a third generation. Um, I wasn't too sure with you though, because I've met your, your family at your wedding and I, I could kind of tell your dad was, was raised here. I actually thought your mum was raised here too. Yeah, no, I, I, well, she, similar to your parents, where she came over when she was, I think, 21, they mm. moved to the UK, um, she was very young, we married, um, so, yeah, she spent a lot of her time here, that's funny you say that, mm. uh, I don't think a lot of people have said that before. What, as in they think your parents? That my mother was raised here. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, my, my dad is 10 years older than my mum. Bit weird, but I'm probably saying too much for a podcast. But he was, yeah, I think he was like 30, 31 when he got married. So my mum must have been 20, 21 when she came over. Um, dynamics very different. But actually, you know what, that's a good point because the way we've, I mean, they're very traditional. And then I feel like my generation is more so don't get married too young, focus on your career, put that first, and then when you're older, you get married. 
I think you and Joey have actually been probably the first example I've seen as a young couple who've got married very early on and have actually done very, very well for yourselves, touch wood, so far. And I'm sure you're going to do, you know, yeah, the sky's the roof. So how did you guys make that decision? Or did you know you wanted to I get think, married young? I think it's really funny because I think... Yes, my parents are quite traditional. They got married young. Mm. Um, a lot of my family around me put a lot of importance on marriage and not being in a relationship too long and kind of making your next steps. And if you ask any one of my friends who knew me before I was married, they would tell you, I can't believe you were the first one of us to get married. It was mm. just not really something on my radar. or I mean, I wanted it for the future when I was kind of established like you say when I had a bit of a career going it was in my mind but I think you don't really control the time when you meet someone I met Joey when I was 18 wow and I would have never known that I would marry the man that I met when I was 18 and it's just it just happened and I think uh, we were together for four years when he proposed so it was a good amount of time it's just happened a lot earlier than I thought Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a traditional path or an untraditional path. I think everyone has that in their mind, what's the right time. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you were raised in the UK. You've met Joey in the Netherlands. So when you're about, what, 15, 16, you've now finished GCSEs, right? Mm -hmm. Gone into A-levels. At that point, I was in a very different place. I've said on this podcast while I was in at 16. But say before all my shit went down, I was still thinking, yeah, I'm going to go to like a Russell Group University. I think they're called Russell Groups. Like I want to go to Leeds University, this and that. And it was all kind of like in my mind, that was the plan. At no point was I thinking of going abroad. How, where did that come from? It's quite funny because it really wasn't a dream of mine or something I'd thought about for a long time. Mm -hmm. It really came down to... I was in year 13 at the time when I considered... Amsterdam. Yeah, at A2. Um, I'd, I'd applied through UCAS, done my five universities. They I were was, all in the UK? Yeah, they were all in the UK. Well, uh, I think my top choice was Edinburgh um, at that time. Yeah. I think just the longer I spent and the more time I thought about it, I just wasn't excited about continuing living in this bubble. That You grew up in London, mm -hmm. so I don't know if you feel the same, but there is a bubble. And it's the same thing. It's the same cultural thing. You're always... Everyone just wants to go out for drinks and do the same stuff all the time. And it's just... You probably realise it's a bubble because of your... You've got two cultures. You're born and raised here, but you've also got the the heritage of your parents. Yeah, exactly. Like for me, my my perfect time in life where I had the mm. most fun was when we had family over and we had big dinners and like twenty people in the house. I like and that. Yeah. That was what made me feel happy and what what I had fun doing. Mm. And I think culturally, especially since I've come back, I've noticed it's just not what people do here. Um, and I just wanted to try something different. Like, the Netherlands is not that far for 
the university fees, it was very cheap because uh, in the Netherlands they subsidize mm. the university fees for European students when we were in the EU. So it was only 1,500 euro a year. Wow. So I graduated with no student debt, went to one of the best universities in the Netherlands and got a completely new experience. That was my rationale in the end. That's incredible. You're also very smart because at that age I would have been thinking, where's the sunniest place? <laughs> where's the best clubs? I definitely Where didn't go I... to Amsterdam for the weather, for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes complete <laughs> sense. I wasn't even thinking about uni fees. It, at that point, I knew uni fees had recently gone up even more. But I was more like, oh yeah, it was just more of like a systematic taxation. So once I get a job, I'll pay back a little bit every month. But I mean, that is well ahead. I've never even thought of that. If I was now. in the UK, that would have been like, I would not have paid, my parents would not have been able to pay that up front. Yeah. Like it was, it's a, a high amount in the UK. So the fact that it was so significantly lower, that's what made it mm. a difference between having debt or not having debt, I think. You have a lot of students here who are, they may not qualify for the student loan um, and they're having to work part-time jobs to try and keep up with, with that life to get through university. So I think if they knew they could go to the, the Netherlands, get a part-time job, and then they have to fund 1,500 plus their living expenses. I think it's a lot more very manageable. Yeah, I agree, I agree. It's really, honestly, a hidden mm. gem. Um, especially, my other rationale was, the thing is, I've never been like super academic or very good at studying. Um, I've Same. had issues dealing with ADHD and mm. I really worked through it, but I still was not a top performer. When did you know you had ADHD? I found out... Um, well, not found out. I kind of knew. I, I guess I was diagnosed in year 12. I swear it happened so late. Everyone I talk to, Too they late. find out yeah. so late. Um, so I did my AS levels. And I was doing, um, ma I think it was maths, economics, Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I got a U in maths. I got a C in Spanish. And an E in economics. Mm. I... I, I'd been to private school for five years before that and I was in one of the best private schools in London during my AS levels. The fact that I got those grades, I just I just couldn't comprehend what I was doing wrong. I had tutors, I had everything my parents gave me, all the tools mm. to figure it out and I just couldn't figure you, out why I couldn't perform. I was putting all my time into studying. I went to school the whole day. You were prepared and you got these grades. I was grades. prepared and I got these grades. So how, how do you get diagnosed with ADHD? I saw a, a psychologist yeah. and did my test that you usually do. And um, you kind of fill in this multiple choice questionnaire sort of thing. Mm. And yeah, just for, luckily. What changes? They give you extra time? Um, that as well. And medication. medication. Yeah. And then that essentially allows you to focus and not have four or five things in your mind at once i guess it helps you to focus on things that you usually can't focus on i mean everybody i think i really believe everybody has some form of adhd we, i'm so nobody, scared to do one of these tests by the way you know yeah the thing is it, it depends on how well you can perform yeah. at normal things for me i was doing everything i could and spending all my day 
on studying and working hard mm. and being in, in the best environment you could be in and still not performing. That's clearly something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I knew what I wanted to achieve and I knew what was wrong. And like, again, to credit to my parents, they were so open mm. to helping me f- at every step of the way, figuring out what I could do to get where I wanted to be. And literally at A2 level, I got an A in maths. I went from a U to an A, an A in economics, from an E to an A, and a B in Spanish. So it clearly was an issue wow. that I really worked on and managed to get through. At that age, how much of your self-esteem is wrapped up in your education? Because I sense you're in an environment, especially in private school. I, I wonder if everybody thinks the same as this. I've never really talked about it. But for me, it was always from GCSE level. It was, how do I get to the next level? For me, when I was in GCSEs, I wasn't happy mm. where I was in school. Uh, I didn't like the school I was in. I didn't feel supported by teachers. And I wanted to get to good sixth forms. I'm like, I need to get these grades to get to this sixth form. In sixth form, you're like, I need to get these grades to get to this university. Mm. University, you're like, I need these grades to get... You know what I mean? It's like constantly trying to achieve the next thing. Yeah. So I think it's not really external pressure, but internal pressure to achieve what you want. It's also the environment you're in, I think. Yeah, I think it's who you're surrounded by, how competitive it is. Yeah. I don't know. um, I've had this conversation with a few people. Comparing state school with private school. And I think what you get with private school is the network, of course, but then also it seems like speaking to you, everyone's sort of in the same on the same track. We're all trying to get to the the same universities and the best universities and the best sixth forms and, and so forth. So coming from a state school, you would have a bunch of kids who are clowns. And then when it comes to results day and some kids get into the sixth form and some kids realize, oh shit, what am I going to do in my life? It's almost like you're about two years too late. So I think with what, yeah, with your experience, it's, it's a bunch of kids in, on the right playing field immediately. I agree. I think there's two parts to it. Exactly what you said, the network, it's the parents of the kids and the kids you're with and the level of competition you're at, Mm. it's your bare minimum is a lot higher than the bare minimum elsewhere. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. And then the second aspect to it is, I think, um, I also went to state school before uh, I was at the private school and I found, it was completely rational, but it basically everyone focused on the kids that were already smart and already were getting grades, then they'd nourish them to get them to Oxford and Cambridge and kind of get them mm. as a, oh, my students went there. Really? But they were already intelligent and really good at studying. See, I had an opposite experience where I came in as like a B student, maybe like a high C, B student. Um, and everyone in my school... It was a mixed bag. You'd have some kids who were really intelligent, but it was more so how to get the kids who were getting E's and D's to get C's. There was some some sort of league table where 
they would publish the results of how many students got A star to C grades, and based off that, the school would get funding. Really? So it doesn't make a difference if a B grade student gets a an C a star. or yeah, an A okay. star. Yeah. Whereas it makes a massive difference to the school it, yeah. if the D or E grade student gets a C. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. They used yeah. to have banners up outside the door saying, team, get them C's. Like the whole premise of the school was to get people to get five A star to C GCSEs and move them along because it was in their interest. Yeah. And I went from, I would say I was a strong B grade student, but I could have been pushed to get A stars and A's. Instead, I had a ton of fun, which I don't regret. I had the best memories from my secondary school, um, but I ended up getting 10, basically eight C's, maybe two B's and one A. And I was like studying by myself a week before the exam. So I could see the difference. Um, but yeah, back to you. How was it? You get your, your results, your A2. You now know you want to go to the Netherlands or was it a clearance situation? <laughs> Definitely not a clearance situation no. because uh, I actually pulled out of UCAS because you had to, if you agreed to go to your top choice with um, if you got the grades you had to go I'm pretty sure so really? I, I pulled out of UCAS about four or five months before and Amsterdam University was conditional to three C's that's really good so I was like I, I mean there was a chance I did not get that because I uh, it was a difficult year and like I wasn't I get it based on what yeah, you said yeah there was, it was a difficult year and a lot of, exactly, my last experience with exams was not anywhere close. Yeah. So I had no idea, but my threshold was a lot lower than if I was supposed to get in. I think I had AAB to get into Edinburgh, which is pretty high. And you got that in the end. Yeah, but that's pretty high to mm. achieve without having a perfect smooth sail. What do you think about that pressure on someone that young? I honestly can say A-levels is the most tough part of mm. my life. Or anyone, I actually truly think in the UK it's the hardest time. University, you have a lot of freedom to do it the way you need to do it. If mm. you don't do it, you get another chance. The repercussions are you take a bit longer. It's at the end of the world, not really. But A-levels are the most stressful time because the jump is so high and the expectations are so high. and. The, the outcome of what you're doing is so mm. high. Yeah. So you get the grades. How do you operate your life and go to Amsterdam? So I, it's funny because um, I, <laughs> it's quite a funny story actually. Mm. So the day I was supposed to move to Amsterdam was something like 18th or 19th of August. And I got my results on the 17th of August. So <laughs> I was packing up my room a few days before and I had these, um, they were, you know those vacuum bags where you put like sheets and yeah, clothes yeah, in yeah. it? And I was like, doing that. All your clothes. And my brother comes in the room and he's like, what if you have to deflate them if you didn't get in? No. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, imagine that scenario. It was that close of a deadline wow. between the results and actually moving there. But it was, yeah, it was a quick turnaround. It was, I got my results. Had I feel really like over day. here, Freshers Week starts 21st it, of it's September. Not, it's very late. In the Netherlands, you start university early September, so first week of September. So like the Freshers kind of is. week is end of August. Mm -hmm. 
And you move, if you're moving country, you move a week before that. Mm. So I was moving into my apartment and my lease started on like the 20th or something. So you already had your, your apartment sorted? Set up, yeah. So for just conditional yeah. on, on the grades? Yeah. You know what, that actually makes a lot of sense because you're extremely organised. From the time I've known you, you are very, very organised. So, yeah, I couldn't imagine you doing things extremely last minute. <laughs> getting the grades and then... That's not my usual I way said, of doing I, If I was in your position, I would have been like, yeah, nothing until I get the grades and then I'll do everything else. But I was thinking, if I have to deflate my bag, I have to deflate it. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. So, how... How was moving to Amsterdam and actually now you're there, you're looking around, people probably don't speak English everywhere you go and you're in a whole other country. It's funny because Amsterdam, I don't know if you, have you been before? Never. No. Every single person speaks English. So really? language was not really an issue for me in the city in Amsterdam. I think one being 18, um, you know how I have my relationship with my parents. We're very close and they did yeah. a lot for me. I never had to do anything. And then I get to a new country, a new place. And I was absolutely fine until... I'm not even sure they know this, but I was absolutely fine until they left. And as soon as they left, it was like silence in my mm. room. It was like... I just realized I'm in a country. I don't know a single person here. I don't know my university mates for another two weeks. What do I do? And like I told you, I moved kind of at a dark time in my life and I was very lonely. I was very dealing with a lot of things. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know how mm. to deal with it myself. But that was kind of really valuable in learning to deal with things myself. I like that. You think the isolation maybe helped you? I think at first it didn't, and then it did. I think I'm a lot better at handling things myself now than I was. Um, but yeah. It also shows how tough you are, to be very honest. Yeah, I mean, like, to do that. I when I first moved there in my second week, I used to keep my door unlocked because I had this weird irrational fear that like I would die and no one would know, and like no one would be able to get in my room. So I keep my door unlocked, like at least someone could come in. Like, all these crazy things I was thinking of. I was just not used to being alone. Wow. No, I'd be too afraid someone's going to come in and rob. That was things. way more likely. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thinking rationally. Well, okay, so... A lot of university students, even if they're staying in the UK, like, it'd probably be a two, three-hour train ride to come back home and move in with their parents. But a lot of them struggle moving out, going to university. You have... I don't know the exact statistics, but you have very high rates of people dropping out. Unfortunately, you even have high levels of um, kids taking their own lives. I, I experienced that in my second year. There was a student who, studying law, like he seemed on paper like such a yeah bright kid with, with a lot of potential who took his own life, unfortunately. Um, so it's no easy feat doing that, moving out to begin with, and then moving to a whole new country and, and setting up shop. So that's, I think, for your own self-esteem, confidence, a big check, first off. Yeah, that's true. 
you learn a lot about yourself and about the world mm. by putting yourself that far out of your comfort zone. And I think second, my sister did a year abroad in Rotterdam. How did you find the standard of education in the Netherlands compared to the UK? I think standard is the wrong word for it. I think it's so different. So different. Really? Yeah. Um, I almost got kicked out of uni in my first year because Jeez. I just didn't. I just didn't get it. It was pretty much fifty percent of the courses were multiple choice, which sounds easy, but that's not how I'm used to learning. You for studied me, economics, right, for your A level? Yeah, I did economics for A level, and I did it for university. Did you have the um, multiple choice in A levels? A very small part of it, but your essay is a very heavy. Oh yeah, that's true. Aspect of it. That was the only aspect of A levels. I I don't have A levels, by the way. Okay. But I did AS for like a while. Yeah. And the multiple choice were impossible. It's like, I felt like the whole point of it is that <laughs> right. I know. So and then they'd say like, which one is not true? You know, that simple kind of mm. mind trick. And I'm like, it's like a full multiple choice paper. It's in Dutch English. Like it's not even English. I was like frustrated every time. And I was like, why do I keep failing these exams? It was so irritating because. In the UK, it's very much, you learn a hell of a lot of information, and then they ask you a question, and you defend your knowledge by yeah. writing an essay, and it's very easy to mumble-jumble, and not even mumble-jumble, but put in, show all your knowledge in mm. a text, in a multiple choice, if you don't know it, you don't know it, like, it's... That's very culturally yeah. Dutch. It is, Black like, if you don't know yeah. it, you're, you're done, it's finished. And I really struggle trying to adapt to that honestly I think I passed my entire degree by the skin of my teeth like it was <laughs> always by the skin of my teeth but in the Netherlands in, in the first year university you can only fail two subjects uh, and then you reset them the following year basically mm. and I failed three and so I had to absolutely beg them to keep me in because uh, if you fail your first year you can't do the same course for another three years I'd have to have done a different degree really yeah it's harsh that's quite harsh yeah yeah shit so how did you convince them um yeah I, we had to have like a whole meeting and I said like it's very culturally different I have all these issues that I've been dealing with I moved to a new country it was not that easy to just pick things up that quickly I think I had my first exam four weeks after I joined so they have, like, every term they have exams? They have midterms and finals. The whole semester is eight weeks, so you have every four weeks exams. And every single one counts. Every four weeks? Yeah, for your entire degree, every, wow. everything counts. So over here in the UK, your first year's a write-off. Exactly. So You just go out, have fun, from second year, pick it up, and, like, try and study. And even in second year, it's like 20%, so kids are still going out. It's only third year. Yeah. They knuckle down. I, maybe now that I'm older, I've done my degree, I can say I would prefer the Dutch way because if I'm not 100% involved, I it's agree. tough for me to... I agree. Um, as much as it was tough, I agree. I learned so much more that I remember hmm. because I was forced to remember. I needed that as, motiva as motivation. Yeah, I hear that. But you got through, you convinced them somehow, second year... It was the same, but I couldn't get kicked out, so that was fine. When did you meet Joey? I met him in November of my first year of uni. It's like 
Very, oh, really? very early. How much of an influence do you think he was on how your time in the Netherlands played out? So much. Really? So much. I think in my entire life, he has mm. been insanely... You know him very well. And you know how he is with other people, how he is with you. You can't help but notice he has an impact on everyone. Like For sure. The discipline. Yeah. The motivation, the kind of cutting out the crap. Like he is Dutch in and out. Like he, he's direct and he's he really gets you to stop wasting time and just do what you're supposed to do. And not in a harsh way, not in a rude way, not in an arrogant way. He just somehow manages to have that impact on everyone. Not to sound too wishy-washy, but that sounds like a moment of, of grace in your life. It really was. Someone yeah. sort of came into your it life. It really and was. And you needed them. Mm-hmm. Mm. I sense, because I've spoken to him, I've, I've, I've got his point of view on things. He seems as though, like, you helped him out a great deal early on. And he almost now feels like, I owe her so much. She changed my life. It's the complete opposite I was studying t- yeah. IT, and then she got me into finance, and then now I'm in London, and now... For me, it's exactly the same but the other way around it's just mm. I was in a lost place didn't know how to get through didn't know how to discipline myself didn't know how to manage myself and he really gave me that Dutch tough love like mm. he said in our wedding vows he just gave me that Dutch tough yeah. love and told me to dust off get up and keep going and every time I fall down he does the same and it really changed my life just mm-hmm. not to waste too much time dwelling on things because shit happens it does it really does I like, can really see how much you guys have, have accomplished so early on in your life and I do correlate a lot of that to naturally we're all going to fuck up make mistakes fail but that comes with quickly getting over it and getting back up going again and it's not brushing it under the carpet because we spend a night talking about it if something happens we talk yeah. about it but then it's done there's no need to talk about it every week mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's just really changed my life i wanted to go into your your wedding a little bit more but since we should hold off until cue the investment banking intro you've now finished your degree how how do you now navigate into that world so, Investment banking in London seems like you're jumping straight into the deep sea and you're not going like tiptoeing into the working world here. Yeah, I think, well, firstly, I knew from quite a young age that I wanted to go into banking, um, or at least I thought I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Things change. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'd probably say since I was. 12 or 13, didn't even know what it meant to be in investment banking, but I wanted to be in investment banking. Mm. Um, when my uncle, uh, I don't know if you met him at the wedding, but uh, I think I, I spoke about him in the speech a little bit. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. you mentioned him. Yeah, but he was probably the main influence on me and wanting to work in finance. Um, he used to live with us when I was quite a lot younger. I was about eight or nine years old and he lived with us and he worked at UBS I think um, just some bank in, mm-hmm. in risk management 
and he'd always kind of have this thing he'd like wake up in a rush and like go to work with perfectly gelled hair crisp suit like out the door in all designer clothes and designer shoes mm. and I'm like it's just when you're young that's just like oh, I wish I could be like that I can't wait to be in control of my yeah. life when I can be like that you come home with a bag of shopping like brand new clothes and some new laptop still stressed out still stressed out <laughs> but he had whatever he wanted and it was yeah. just so inspiring and like when you're young those things are flashy and exciting and it's just I just wanted to be able to do that so mm -hmm. I was like I'm gonna do investment banking I didn't know what it meant I thought it meant working as a clerk at a bank but I just knew that's what I wanted to do yeah so fast forward to graduating I graduated in 2020 pretty much the worst year you could graduate in wow. since the financial crisis I think um, yeah, everything was online. You could barely move country. You could barely cross borders. I studied in a different country and I was trying to get a grad scheme in London. Impossible. Mm. Because one, they were not hiring a lot of people. And two, it was very hard to get contact. Competition. Yeah. So I did do a little stint somewhere else before that. And one day I applied to this... Um, one of these sector teams in equity research at a bank and I expected no response <laughs> as usual I think I'd sent about 170 emails by then mm. to different job that's places. important to, to mention by the way yeah it, it, it was 170 rejections and I still to this day get rejections from two years ago when I was applying to jobs and like sorry we've closed this position and I'm like I didn't remember applying to it so great <laughs> um but yeah, then I got a no caller ID phone call one day and I answered it. I don't usually, but I answered mm. it. And it was um, the head of grad recruitment at this investment bank. We won't name it. Yeah. Um, and she said, I saw your application. Your profile looks really good, but you can't um, apply as an analyst without having done the grad program because you haven't had an investment banking experience. Because okay. I hadn't done an internship in the UK, I hadn't done um, the grad scheme in the UK, so like it was not very applicable even though I'd done internships before. So can I do the grad scheme? So she said, tomorrow we have an assess the last ass assessment centre, are you able to make it? And I was like, I, I have no practice. I, I mean, people, they get yeah. training for this. They spend weeks and months figuring out what they're going to ask, what you're going to do. Mm. And I was like, yeah, obviously, it's like my one and only chance, I'll do it. Um, so I asked for a day off at my job. I'm like, oh, I have like a, I have to do Dentist some stuff. Yeah, something like yeah. that. I was like, I, I need the whole day off. And she's like, okay, it's fine. So I take the day off and I do this assessment center. It seems to go pretty well. They like cut people off in the middle. It was all on Zoom because it was still COVID-ish times. Um, and I managed to get through. And then the next day she calls me and she's like, I can't legally tell you that you got the job but it's gone very well and uh wow yeah it's looking good i'll call you on monday how did you find those those interviews on zoom compared to in person because people have different answers i always preferred it yeah. actually because i think it gave me a chance to sweat and be myself in my own environment and i seem to have a very like, personal conversation with the people mm. i was speaking to um yeah, I think 
Overall, it was pretty good. There were some pretty weird interviews in there as well, like someone eating their lunch, which I don't think you do in person. Really? Yeah, it was strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, it was it was easier, I think. I think so. It'll be yeah. easier. I'm not afraid of in-person interviews. I, I would prefer that in person, but I think me getting into banking, having it over Zoom was also to my favor. Yeah. I think just having like a white background and sweating exactly. and being nervous just in my own space, space and they wouldn't really yeah. be able to pick up exactly. on that helped me out a lot. Yeah. But yeah, it, it went well and then about three days later I got the offer and that was that. Wow. So did you, you now go into this bank, what's your imposter syndrome like? Because we mentioned beforehand if we can have this conversation and help encourage maybe someone who's, who's quite young, um, a girl looking to get into investment banking and maybe she thinks it's quite intimidating, it might be an old boys network. So I was like, let's, let's actually talk about that. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. I think when I joined, I was 100% mentally prepared to be working hard. And I, I didn't have that fear that I thought I would. Um, I was in there like, I asked for this, I'm mm-hmm. gonna take what I get, I'm gonna work as hard as I need to work. And I was prepared mentally. Um, when I got there, I was placed in a really good team, a very, very inspirational, super great mentor as a boss. Mm. It was- Very important. Yeah, it, it's very, very important. Lesson number one, from working in a bank mm. is that who you're around and who you're working with is the number one thing. You're spending hours and hours and hours a day with them. It's Most a skyscraper, like, but at the end of it, it's the, pe- the people you're reporting yeah. to and working with. And you end up spending more time with them than you do with your own family. So you've yeah. got to like them, you've got to get along with them. And they have to be supporting you as well, especially when you're junior and you don't know what you're doing. The only way to get better is mm-hmm. to have that support. And my boss at the time, he would sit with me for hours a day and teach me like basic accounting and just explaining how cash flow flows into balance sheet and the other way around and just, he went through everything with me and spent that time and I will always remember that and I will always respect him for that. Do you know what, in contrast to um, you coming in as a new employee and people shouting at you for not knowing how to do something which they haven't shown you how to do which I sense is another experience. Well, I've had, I've had that I, experience. Absolutely. That's what I mean by uh, yeah. working with various people. I mean, how it worked in our grad scheme was there were rotations and we had different teams. So unfortunately, that perfect team where you have the Holy mm-hmm. Trinity, a good team, good company, a good work-life balance. My, te- my manager actually uh, quit and went um, to pursue something else. And... That was my first experience. I mean, I didn't know how bad turnover was in finance, but it, mm-hmm. it's just every day someone is leaving or thinking of leaving. And it's, yeah. I didn't know that at the time. And it was my first experience. You and get I was, a little bit comfortable. Yeah. It's like, I was like, oh, I could do this. Like, this yeah. is not that bad. There's someone who's going to make me super smart and get me really good at my job and it's going to be perfect. And it just goes like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my next rotation was on a different team. And every living hour of my life, I was anxious. 
I was in my sleep and I was waking up. I woke up. That happened to me, yeah. I woke up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., getting ready to go to work. Go, uh, we had, because I'm in equity research, we did um, earnings reports and a lot of our companies were in Germany. Mm-hmm. So I'd wake up at 4.30, get a cab at 4.45 to get to the office for 5 or 5.15 and do this. 5.15 a.m.? Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It was completely pitch black and it was an hour drive basically from where I lived. And I sit in this cab like, I'm supposed to be motivated and excited about this life and I'm, I can't breathe because I'm so anxious. I'm like, what if I get to my desk and I do something wrong? It's 5 a.m. I'm going to do something wrong. Mm. Like, we're, we're human beings. Like, things are going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. And I think, yeah, certain people handle mistakes from juniors a lot better and some people get frustrated. And it's just that frustration really like it uh, my major problem in finance is that i had no confidence and that absolutely destroyed my confidence interesting would you say if there's any element of it fast tracking you to build confidence because you go through so much shit um, and it condenses your entire almost professional career if you're working sometimes or always 12 plus sometimes 14, 15 hours, making a lot of mistakes during the day, facing a lot of heat, but at the end of it, after a year or two, you're almost in a position where I've been exposed to so much, you could say it wasn't healthy, I've had to deal with a bunch of anxiety, but now I'm in a place where I'm a lot tougher. I think, yes, I think it's taught me a lot of things, it's taught me a lot about dealing with different kinds of people, and... I'm a natural people pleaser, so it's it's even how to please people that are frustrating you. Mm, and sad. it's it taught me a lot about, yeah, just kind of achieving my own goals and putting those first and making sure I'm doing my job correctly. But, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really tough environment and it's quite often not fair. You just, at the end of the day, when you've... When you've left it for something else, you've learned so much and it's so invaluable. Like the skills I know now were all because of all that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would have never been as good at what I'm doing now without that. Exactly. And like, yeah, sure, it was harsh sometimes, but I never make mistakes now. And or I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but I never make the same kind of mistakes. I never repeat mistakes. You're a lot sharper. I'm a lot sharper. Quite often the feedback I'd always get was that I wasn't very diligent and I'd never spot things and I'd just submit them. And I never do that anymore. It's just you kind of work on things that you've been mm. told. I think it's really important to be working in an environment where people create the, uh, the ability to make mistakes and it's comfortable to now learn from that and don't make the same mistake twice but don't be afraid of making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked for a lot of people who have made that that sort of attitude very comfortable they almost expect you're you're a junior like we expect you to make mistakes so don't stress just this is how you do it next time but then I've worked for people who have made it they almost look at me like I'm an idiot like how are you even here I yeah and I think that's a very off-putting part of the job I think you could increase the longevity of your juniors 
by so much if you make them comfortable. Yeah, yeah. If you just take your time, like, a lot of these people, they just forget what it's like to be a grad. They've been in this industry for 30 years, and especially in equity research, where you're focusing on one sector. Over 30 years, you're going to know more than anyone else in the world. Like, of course, you know absolutely everything. After two years in my role, I feel like I've, I've night and day from when I first started, let alone... 30 years in the same exactly so you just forget that when you when they started they didn't know anything either yeah and i think that's just the problem it's quite often they forget but either way you learn a lot from them and at the end of the day they're the smartest people exactly yeah around and they do teach you a lot whether it's in a harsh way or not a harsh way yeah i think from my perspective i i don't forget how those people who made it very hard for me to fail and learn and try and do something because I was too afraid it'd be wrong. I don't forget how that made me feel. So if I'm ever in a position to lead others, I'll always remember how it how it feels to to be a junior and trying to train and, and develop in those early days. Yeah. Um, so I think a, a bit of a, still within investment banking, but you mentioned your ADD, and I think now you're going into an environment where it's very fast-paced, it's long hours, it's tough. You're almost um, one of the most respected and difficult industries to be in. How, how did you manage or equip yourself with, with the right techniques to juggle that? Because you did, you mentioned your anxiety, right? Yeah, I, I'll be completely honest. I don't think I did deal with it, mm. which is why I was kind of relieved when it was over. That's, that's yeah. probably the first time I said that. I was just quite relieved when I was uh, let go last year because there, I was dealing with a lot of things, the anxiety, the ADD, um, the stress of being in a company that you know you had you were at risk of being let go constantly mm -hmm. it was a lot to deal with when you're working 12 plus hours a day um i guess the main things were for me you've met my friends we yeah. quite often um spend time together but i had that support system that's the one amazing thing about where i worked is that i built the most amazing relationships I, some of my best friends I made there. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's important to know a lot of people in your company were made redundant. It yeah, yeah. It wasn't a personal yeah. thing. It was well, everyone now. <laughs> everyone now, yeah. Um, Not to say who it is, but... Yeah, yeah, is, yeah, there is no one left, let's just say that. It's an experience, right? Because you're giving most of your day to your work. I remember... And you're doing that for how long? A year or so? Yeah. So it's hard to now detach that and not take it personally when... The day I uh, left, um, it was very abrupt. Mm -hmm. It was on the day, 9am up the door, couldn't really? get back in. Yeah. I went home and I sat on a couch and I was like, what now? Like, mm. actually, what now? Because for a year and a half or two years, I put aside my whole life all my hobbies, all my outside friendships that weren't at the bank. And it's all gone in, in the space of one hour. It's gone. Yeah. 
And I sat on the couch and I'm like, do I go to the gym? Do I? Like, what do I do? Like, do I, I do? really don't know what to do. I haven't cooked a meal in like three weeks because I've been so stressed. And I haven't gone to the gym in three weeks or like a year because I never had the time. And I was just like, I just don't know what to do. Yeah. It was a weird, weird feeling. And I had to like relearn to be myself. And I realized how much I gave up. And this is kind of, it leads into a funny conversation with, you, you're also from kind of Middle Eastern or Asian mm. background, and there's always a stigma of being a doctor, lawyer, or banker, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, or engineer. Or engineer. Yeah. Sorry, that might replace the banker For us, at this point. Engineers, yeah. engineers a big one. Yeah. But it's like, you've got to have this stable job, and you've got to get the most safe job, like make money, blah, blah, blah. I thought I was in the safest job in the world. I was in a bulge bracket bank, like in a decent job. I was a grad, like I'm not going to get fired or made redundant, whatever. Um, and then 18 months, not even 18 months later, it was all over. It's funny. Is that what you call stable? I was probably more stable at my last job. Yeah, I think within the industry you have the advantage of now saying you're an ex-banker and that is respected probably because of what we've just been talking about giving your entire day in the office waking up at whatever time you mentioned for what time were you were you in the office i used to be at my desk at six every day six Mm a.m shit and what time would you leave? Depends on the team. Um, in my healthiest days, like 6.30. At the worst days, 10. Yeah. See, on those days, when you leave at 10... And then I would go home and work from home. <laughs> really? Quite often, yeah. Because it takes you an hour to get back. Yeah, like I'd leave at 8.30 and then come home and then update a model or something at mm. like 10 o'clock it was just yeah yeah no that's that's very tough but i think off the back of that i mean i've, I've experienced it at your at your wedding when i've come for just dinner parties how your level of organizing and your hospitality is ridiculous ridiculously good by the way um but then your wedding was was insane and I think even speaking to Joey, while you guys were putting that together, you had a lot of ideas on just how much money is involved in wedding planning or events planning, the venue, um, just the actual people you had to hire to put all of that together. And I sense that's sort of planted a seed within you to potentially down the line pursue your own thing similar to your husband who is now full force doing his own thing um i could i could definitely see being very successful in that but how do you think that jump is going to be made or have you considered i haven't really yeah it's it's definitely the whole model of what where i had my wedding it was an airbnb Mm. absolutely dirt cheap compared to wedding venue um for example when i was looking at wedding venues in tuscany i was getting quoted 17k for a night and you don't even stay there 
at a villa. Just a venue. Yeah. And then flowers, 10K, food, blah, blah, blah. Like, flowers are 10K. That's what they were quoting me at this other place that I looked at. I looked at m- so many. Like the minimum I could find was about 15K for the venue. And I was like, that's just, I'm not spending that on a wedding. I've already, I'm already married. Yeah. I really <laughs> want a nice wedding, but like, I'll survive without it. If you could always pull that card. You know what? I'm actually already married. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking like, unless I can make it work in under 10K, I'm not doing it. So I found this Airbnb in the middle of Tuscany. It was beautiful. It, Amazing. It was kind of marketed as just a holiday home. I think at the time it was, I, I actually booked it like in 2021 or something, like a long time ago mm-hmm. and just after COVID. So I, I think they hadn't had that many weddings there. Um, but the owners, they had planned a few weddings. So they were wedding planners, essentially. So I got this villa for 3000 for three nights was a thousand a night. Wow. I paid them maybe a thousand euros for wedding planning. And they kind of consulted me for a year and a half. <laughs> and well, before agreeing to it, or sorry, before agreeing to to plan your wedding. No, the, this was like their wedding planning charge, like for planning the wedding. And that took a year. No, because I booked it early, right? Like oh, we, okay. We, to be fair, we started speaking in the last six months, but if I really wanted to speak, they were there, and yeah, it was so affordable, and it was just a life hack that I found, and I was like. There must be so many people that are not willing to have a wedding just because you don't want to give away mm. a house deposit for a one day. Literally. And sure, 10,000 is also a lot. I get that. But I had a lot of people there. It was in Tuscany. Yeah. The food was great. The environment was great. Incredible wedding. And it was worth every penny. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not married, by the way. Really? Yeah. So I have no idea about this world. Even when you mentioned the flowers being whatever they were, it's mad to me. Yeah, the f- yeah, exactly. It's just every single step of it. And in their defense, like, I could have justified anything if I had the money. Mm. I would have justified 10k of flowers. I just, it's one day, like, we're going to remember this. We're not going to remember all these brunches and the house we bought and like you won't remember that but you remember your wedding day and that was my justification every day there must be so many people like that yeah yeah no it was i admire it a lot but i'm not gonna lie i i was watching that and i was like i was so afraid because i was thinking if if i'm there one day (laughs) and all these people are there for me I, yeah. I think because we did it already. <laughs> I was more practiced than that. We'd already had two weddings. <laughs> this uh, was wedding number three. No, it was a, genuinely, it was an amazing day. Um, and I, I sense you could be very, very good at managing these, these events. Hopefully. Just you being very thorough and organized was how you found out you could throw this incredible wedding for literally less than a half. Of what it should have cost you probably a third was 15k but anyway um yeah as much as i know joey's probably gonna nurture that i want to also just say my two cents because you're incredible for that and coming off the back of investment banking i'm sure 
this is this is going to be a walk in the park. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for uh, contributing to my road to twenty one. Um, and yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was good fun.